Your Partner in Success Radio is a free business podcast with host Denise Griffiths. It's all about great stories, conversation, and context to help you move your business and life forward with actionable tips and advice from her guest experts. To listen and subscribe, just find us on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you consume your podcasts. Welcome to your Partner in Success Radio. I'm your host, Denise Griffiths, and today we are discussing maximizing, <laughs> maximizing the value of your business, growing through accusations. Jessica, I'm just going to apologize right now. I can barely talk, and I don't even know why, and I'm a podcast <laughs> Let me start this again. We are talking about maximizing the value of your business, growing through acquisition with my guest, Jessica Fiakovich. Got it. Jessica became a first-time entrepreneur at the age of 25 and has since been able to successfully establish and develop and sell multiple small businesses in a number of different industries. Now, in the last eight years, she has been able to build her business brokerage firm from a two-person team to one of the top firms in the country. And under her leadership, the office has been the number one Transworld Business Advisors franchise location in the world for the last five years and she has made the Inc. 5000 list for the last three wow and has been uh, recognized by the Financial Times the Denver Business Journal and others Jessica is also the founder of Exit Factor which teaches business owners how to buy and sell businesses for the most profit in the least amount of time now she's got a lot of information to, or tips tricks advice case studies to share with us and some of those are mistakes to avoid when selling a business that's a big deal you need to know and she'll talk with us about the ultimate guide to buying a business business valuation I've talked with people on this this podcast before and it it's always a big question, how much is your business worth? And then running a business to increase the value and profitability, and this is probably going to be my favorite because I love strategies, strategies to increase the likelihood that your business will sell and that you don't have to just go, well, that's 30 years down the train. So Jessica, welcome to your partner in Success Radio. It's good to have you here. I've got questions. Oh, well, thank you so much, Denise. It's great to be on the show, and happy Friday. Thank you. I can. T I mean, I don't know why I can't talk today, so you're probably oh. going to be doing an awful lot of it. I'll just <laughs> mute and let you. It's your show. You go. Oh, no worries. I mean, some of those words are tongue twisters, right? <laughs> so, um, yeah, I was listening to you, and I was like, man, I need to clean up my bio. There's too many tongue twisters in there. So I appreciate it. But, yeah, I'm happy to be on the show and, um, you know, share my expertise. It really, I got into business brokerage um, originally because I sold my first business, actually, was in Wine and Spirit. And after I went through the sale process of that business and, and buying another, I realized that it's business a lot of people talk about. Like I, I say all the time that people will always, you know, there's tons of people that will teach you how to start a business, how to grow a business, market a business, but we really talk about like that third act for entrepreneurs, which is selling a business. Um, so, and, and I learned that the kind of the hard way learning by doing with my first business in the wine industry. And, and that's what inspired me to get into this world now. Jessica, do you think a lot of people go into business realizing that sooner or later they're going to have to do something with that business? I didn't. 
I'll be honest with you. Mm -hmm. I went into business because I'm a highly committed introvert. I don't want to work around other people. I play with scissors. I don't play well with others. I need to be alone. And I built a business that probably is not really saleable because it's a virtual business. Mm -hmm. So, you know, there's people like me who just like, I want to do my own thing. I want to make a good living. I want to go on vacation when I can. But we don't look down the road like, what is this business worth? Can I sell it? Can I leave it to somebody? Or do I just close the doors? So these are questions. I think a lot of us may have. I have them. I don't know what to do with my business. I'll be honest with you. I mean, it's rocking and rolling. But if I die or something happens to me, what happens to my business at this point? I don't even know. And I shouldn't be saying that on the radio, but I don't know. So which is why I really you know, wanted to talk with you so other people like me can go, oh, well, she's stupid, but I'm doing the same thing. So here we go. <laughs> this is not stupid. I mean, it's it's all, honestly, it's, it's, I don't think many people think about it. Like, look, there are business owners, there's entrepreneurs, um, we call them serial entrepreneurs that, you know, they're flipping businesses all the time. They're starting new things. They're, they're always moving. Um, but I don't think for most people that, that foresight of, of what am I going to do if something happens to me? Or what am I going to do when I'm done with this business? What if it doesn't work? What if I don't like it? Um, I don't see a lot of business owners think but that way down the road. And, and to be honest, I didn't with my first business either. And I, I think that's a key component that misses um, in the in the strategy, how we think about owning a business overall, because, you know, for better, for worse, we're, we're all going to leave our business, either walking out the door, head held high, or, you know, feet first, one of the two. Um, but it, it's, it's going to happen at some point. And every business owner has exit options. And I, I think that no matter the size of your business, virtual, not virtual, employees, not employees, you always have options of how to get out. And, and Denise, you mentioned some of them, but, you know, sometimes it's just closing up shop, which is okay, right? That's a very viable exit for some business owners. Um, sometimes it is selling the business to a third party. Sometimes it's transitioning it to an employee or a family member or a partner or a friend, somebody like internally in your life that you know. But it, it's really determining what's the right exit option for your business and having the foresight to know that that exit option's going to happen, right? It's going to happen at some point. (laughs) And the reason I'm, I guess this is so top of mind is a friend of mine passed away last week. I had no Mm -hmm. idea. And he's a colleague when, you know, we do a lot of the same type of work and he's just gone. I don't think he had a plan. And I went, Oh, geez. Yeah, it's just some things happen in your life that you have to go, it's time to pay attention. And I've had a couple of those wake-up calls in the last few weeks. So I'm so glad you're here because this is – a lot of people do have, okay, this is going to go to my children or I'm going to sell it, you know, six months before I wanted to retire. And we can talk about all of those mm-hmm. scenarios. And then there's going to be people like me who are just blowing and going all the time. We're busy. We're doing well. We're happy, but we don't have a plan. So, you know, let's talk. Yeah. Well, and, you know, it's interesting you bring up something, Denise, is that most people think like, oh, I'm going to have this grand financial plan if I want to sell my business. And most of the time when people come to us, 
and say, hey, I want to sell or I need to sell or I need to do something with this. It's not some business or financial reason. It's, it's usually something personally that's going on in their lives because, you know, shock to probably our employees and, you know, our family members, but entrepreneurs are, are real people too, right? So we have we like real people problems. Yeah, we do try. <laughs> yeah. So we've got personal problems and personal opportunities. So most of the time it's like, you know, you have a new opportunity, a new business opportunity. You have um, the opportunity to move across the country. Maybe you're, um, And then sometimes it's unfortunate things like illness or even death in families. Um, but those are the things that, that trigger these, these exit options and, and potentially a business sale. It's not, it's not the money, where it, which is where everybody's mind always goes, well, I don't, I don't have a plan to sell my business. My plan was never to make a bunch of money off of it. Well, really the trigger for, for getting rid of the business, whether it's a sale or shutting it down or transitioning it, it's all those personal things that are going on in our life. And I'm so glad you said that because when we start these businesses, don't we start them for personal reasons? For me, it was like, mm-hmm. you don't want me in your office. I'm telling you, you don't want me in your office. <laughs> I will not play nice with you. And if you want coffee, you can go get it your own damn self. I'm not going to do it. So, you know, that's a very yep. personal reason for wanting to run my own business. Plus, as a creative and as a techie person, I'm a nerd in stilettos. I need a lot of quiet time. You don't get that in somebody else's office, I don't think. But really, I just, I did, it was personally, it was truly personal. I went to college, I got my degree, I started my business, and it was personal because I need to be alone. It was that easy. Mm -hmm. And I suspect for a lot Mm -hmm. of people, you know, they have very personal, very dynamic reasons for saying, I've got to do this on my own. So I'm glad you brought that up because I don't think we think of that. We just, a lot of people, oh, you've you know, got a business opportunity. I'm going to do this. But it has to have personal components. Yes, it really does. It really does. And, I mean, that's almost always what triggers a business sale. It's not, sometimes there's the financial components, especially in larger businesses. But for small businesses, the businesses we see that operate every day and sustain our country and our communities, those are those are business owners that started for personal reasons, and, and there'll be personal reasons why they sell the business as well. I have to say, I never thought of any of that, and I've had this conversation with several, you know, really great experts. That's the first time this has been brought up. So this is why I keep covering this topic. It's an important mm-hmm. topic. Okay, so it tell really us. Is. It is. So tell us a bit about your first experience with this, and you know, just give us kind of the cliff notes how how you realized that it wasn't really something that you knew or were being taught. Yeah, it was interesting. So uh, my husband and I started this wine shop together. And um, at the time we were living in Florida, we had previously been living in Colorado and I had the realization that I wanted to move back. So again, it was a personal thing. The business was doing very well. We had a great community in Florida, but I wanted to be back in Colorado, just a lifestyle personal decision. So after we made that decision, I went to a bunch of my advisors because, you know, like I said, I had never thought, like, what if I need to leave this company? What if I need to exit it? And I went to a bunch of my advisors, my lawyers, my accountants, and I said, hey, I have a, I have a small business. Like, what do I do? I want to sell it, and I want to move to Colorado. I want to get some money out of it so I can start something new. 
and they didn't have a whole lot of great direction for me. They introduced me to a couple investment bankers who very kindly said, well, yeah, we'd love to help you, but you're way too small. Like your business is too small for us. Oh. And at the time, yeah, yeah. At the time we were like um, 3 million in revenue. So we were a small business, but we weren't small compared to, uh, I think it's, 96% of all businesses in the U.S. do under a million in sales, right? So um, I had really nowhere to go, and uh, I eventually got introduced to a business broker, which I had no idea existed. I didn't know that business brokerage was a thing. And uh, business brokers, for those who don't know, basically like a realtor for businesses, um, similar to an investment banker, but they specialize in small business sales. So we went through the process with this business broker and valued the company and found a buyer and went through due diligence. But the whole time, the whole process was very foreign to me. It was also very cold. Um, you know, it was like I, I mentioned, it, this was a thing I started for personal reasons, and it was a company my husband and I started together. So it was a bit of an emotional process. Um, and through that whole that whole journey is when I realized that, you know, business brokerage is actually – a career that really impacts small businesses and our communities and small business owners, but it doesn't have to be so dry and so impersonal. Um, and, and I also wanted to bring some of those resources, those bigger advisors like the investment bankers. They deliver a really great level of service to their clients, but their clients have to be 20, 50, 500 million in revenue for them to talk to them. And I, I really wanted to bring some of those skills and expertise to the small businesses. So that's why I entered this marketplace. So what happened, and I'm glad you did. So what happened when you were kind of walking through this process? It sounds like there was a bit of trepidation, a bit of fear, and probably some, what the heck are you guys trying to do to me? It sounds like you were asking questions that, you know, you you might have been thinking, this is not what I was asking for. Where do I find what I was asking for? Right. Yeah. And there was because the whole process was unknown. Right. I, I had this idea that I would be able to sell my business, but I didn't know how to do it or where to do it or who could do it for me. So that that's why I was asking those questions. And, and there was some fear around it because it's like, well, you know, what if the company's not worth anything? What, what what do I do then? What if somebody finds out that we're selling? What if my employees find out, right? And then they decide to go look for new jobs. There's some fear around that too. Same with our customers. Our customer base was very, very loyal to us. And we didn't want anybody to find out that we were selling in case it actually didn't happen, right? So, um, so there was some fear and trepidation. I see that those three key questions really are um, the same that our clients today have is because there's fear around the process and anxiety, right? And then they also want to be careful that employees and vendors and customers don't find out that the business is for sale because there's so much uncertainty already in the, the whole process and they're not sure if they're going to sell or for how much or any of those things. Right, you're just doing a, a deep dive. And all this re this takes me to the business valuation question I had. So how much is your business worth? So at some point you had to be able to look at your numbers and find out what the mm -hmm. business would be worth to somebody else. So what's that process right. like? 
Yeah, it's interesting because it, it is based on numbers. So it's based on earnings and it's based on your profit and loss statement. And I, I had no idea when I was selling my first business as well. And really what we look at as business brokers is we look at, it, to put it in very simplistic terms, what are you earning as the owner? So that includes your net profit, includes your salary, um, it includes you know any types of perks that you get from the business. And we call that a number called seller's discretionary earnings. But it's basically, if you want to think about it in very simplistic terms, I say, it's how much money do you put in your pocket at the end of the year from your business as a business owner? Once we have that number, we look at what are other businesses like yours selling for in the marketplace? And, and in the marketplace, I mean in your industry. And it's interesting because like when we think about real estate, we think about, well, what is a house in your neighborhood worth? Right. Mm-hmm. And, and what are I was just thinking that selling for? Yeah. yeah, you go find out. Well, yeah, you see go who's find out. selling so, what and then go, oh, I need to increase something in my house to make that value. Right. I mean, we so all do that. Similar. We look at the neighbor's houses and go, oh, mine's so much better than theirs. Ooh, I need to I know, catch right? up like, over there. Yeah. They just redid their kitchen. I have to do mine now. Yeah. Um, so it's similar. Yeah, it's similar in business, but we're not comparing businesses in the same geography. So we're not comparing a business in Louisiana um, to another business in Louisiana. We're actually comparing businesses in the industry. So a restaurant that sells in Louisiana is going to sell for a similar price as what a restaurant in Colorado is going to sell for. Um, There's a little bit of discrepancy, but it's very minor. So when we go um, to look at these comps like we would in real estate, we're actually looking at what what are all restaurants selling for in the U.S. right now? And once we determine that, we can use those comparable reports to peg where my business or your business is going to sell for. Um, and that's, that's the function of that is the multiple of earnings. So it could be for two times that owner's discretionary earnings number. It could be for three times. It really is industry dependent. Um, but that's like the simple, that is as simple as I think I can explain the whole valuation process. It can get very complicated. Um, but at the end of the day, the reason we do it the way we do is because that's how buyers are going to value businesses. That's how banks value businesses to determine whether or not the buyer qualifies for financing. Um, so, but very similar process to real estate. If you just think about it's it's based on comps in the marketplace. I do have a question about the real estate part of it, though, because we all know that they're very expensive states. California, right. New York come to mind. <laughs> you know, I live in yeah. southwest Louisiana. When I bought this house the week after Hurricane Katrina, and I bought it online because people were buying everything they could because they had to move. They had to leave New Orleans. They'd, they'd already left New Orleans. They knew they couldn't come back. And I sent <laughs> – this is just a personal aside, but I sent the listing to yeah. my sister who is in California, horribly expensive state. I got out of there quite young. And she looked yep. at that. She said, oh, I could sell my house and buy four of those. I know. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. that lead, and it's always stuck with me. So let's just do a, you know, apples to oranges type of thing. If somebody has your business in in my my state, Southwest Louisiana, which is still reasonably priced. We have horrible sales tax, but that's a whole other thing. But if I want to sell that business and buy something in California, isn't there a real estate component there that might have me going, uh, no, I can't afford it? 
Yeah. And for most businesses, well, actually, let's say before 2020, for most businesses, there was a real estate component, right? So whether that's you owned real estate or you rented real estate, um, and that would, as a business owner, would reduce your earnings, right? So it actually makes your business, yeah, it actually makes your business less valuable because you're paying out expenses and rent or mortgage. Um, But, I mean, we've seen, like everybody else has seen in the last 12 months, um, you know, a lot of businesses have pivoted and either gone to an all virtual environment or they've reduced their real estate footprint to a smaller office because they're doing a hybrid model. And that's actually really increased their bottom line and the value of I their bet. business because there's not, there's not so much money going out to rent, right? Exactly. So I'm guessing that as we kind of keep on working through this because many places are still shut down, that there are going to be differences in how virtual businesses do value. Are you seeing some of that now or are you just kind of anticipating it? Um, We're seeing some of it. It's actually, it's become a more popular segment because Mm -hmm. I think, I think what the pandemic did for business is I think it fast forward us from a technology and a flexibility perspective, like five or 10 years. And, you know, we've been in this whole globalization environment for, for a very long time, but it's interesting because when you look at small business, our small businesses were still very much pegged around the communities we lived in, right? If you wanted, if back to our restaurant model, if, if you wanted to open a second restaurant, you probably wouldn't open one across state lines, right? You would want, want to stay within your community and within a close commute to your home. Um, and what we're seeing now is we're seeing because there's this more virtual or hybrid model, we're seeing business owners and buyers of businesses be more flexible where the business is actually located. Because now it's become more about the substance of the business and not where it is because a lot of the employees are in a virtual setting. Um, so it's, it's an interesting transition. We haven't seen valuations change um, that much on the virtual businesses, but we've seen an increase in requests from buyers for virtual businesses, which usually it's just like supply and demand. So if a bunch of buyers requesting virtual businesses um, or flexible um, hybrid models, where the, the valuations are going to increase on those types of businesses as long as there's a greater demand than we have supply. Do you think that'll keep going? I mean, I like to read and watch everything I can. I don't believe everything I read and watch, but it gives me a, a point where <laughs> I go, hmm, let me go a little yeah. bit deeper into that. And I know in New York, you know, when people started saying, you know, we're going to have to work virtual, there seemed to be a pretty much a, a mass exodus out of New York because they didn't have to be there and pay those insane rental insane. prices for, yeah, I mean, they were living in half of my garage practically. That's how much, I can't imagine it. You know, I remember seeing one girl had yeah. a dog in what she called a studio. Seriously, it was not even half of my garage in size and she would have to take her dog down 20 I don't know 20 floors multiple times a day to take the dog outside I love my dog I don't love anything that much I would move I'm (laughs) telling you I would move so it it appears that there's been a lot of real estate issues going on in in towns cities that 
people are like, I don't have to pay this anymore. I can go live in the suburbs or live in a, I can go get a farm and I can still work. Mm-hmm. So I'm wondering what that's going to do in terms of, you know, business valuation, in terms of real estate valuation in that business value. I'm just curious. I mean, I'm, I'm seeing all kinds yeah. of things that are probably going to have to change and quickly. Yeah, it's very, it's really interesting. These are all my opinions, right? Because I don't think any of us have really great research on what long-term is going to happen yet, right? Because right. there was such a mass exodus and it happened so quickly and we're not sure really what's going to settle down. But it's interesting, like we were just talking and, you know, for some businesses, um, you know, the rent is their biggest expense. And it, it makes me wonder that it's a transition out of the cities and out of our, our business centers, right? You know, New York, Chicago, L.A., San Fran have always been such big business centers, but they're also some of the most expensive real estate markets in the country. So it makes me wonder if we're going to see um, a transition and almost like a spreading out of businesses across the country into different areas where real estate values are less and you can get more for your money um, or if, if we're going to be in this total virtual environment, I do think you're going to see businesses, and we've seen our clients already, go back to some type of office environment. I mean, obviously, restaurants and retail, like, they're always going to have a, a, a real estate footprint, but some of the more business services and, and office users, we, we don't know what they're going to do yet, but I have seen some of our clients say, you know, we're not going to operate virtually forever we're probably going to have a more flex policy where, and our company does this too, where we have rotating schedules and some of our support staff is in two to three days a week. um, And then our sales team really is able to use the office whenever they want. So we still have a, a, a real estate footprint, but we're able to use less space for our employees because we can share that space. Like one desk might be used by three different employees throughout the week instead of having to have three desks, right? It so makes sense. I think it makes sense, and it's and, and it's also it's more comfortable for employees, right? Um, they're able to have this flexibility, and you know, have to deal with life stuff that comes up during the week, um, and, and also, you know, be more comfortable at home. Some employees just work better at home, right? Some people do, and you know, there's there's this there's so many things to think about. You know, when you're how you're working, where you're working, why you're working. Do you own the business? Are you an employee? But, you know, you talked about, you know, people more, some people are more comfortable at home. I most definitely am. But what I've also found over time, you know, as I've had to build my business from scratch, there was nobody to teach me how to do anything. And I'm pig-headed, so I figured I could do it. But I have learned that, you know, for all my life, I thought I was just strictly a morning person. You hit that floor running, the devil says, oh, crap, she's awake, and off I go. (laughs) Seriously. But I have found, because the work I do is so techy, and I'm often reading code, and I'm breaking things and, you know, putting them back together and go, oh, good job. That, well, yes, I'm up and running in the morning around noonish or so. I'm tired. My eyes are tired. I'm shallow breathing. I'm worn out. So I'll take a break for, you know, a couple of hours. And then I may decide to go do something physical, dig holes, cut down tree, whatever I feel Mm -hmm. like doing. Yesterday I was whacking trees down. But then in the evening, it's almost like I woke up again. I'm and off I go. And about seven o'clock in the evening, I may work until 11 o'clock at night. So 
a lot of us have to figure out, I guess, what our rhythms are. So we are creative. We are interested. We are alert. And we're doing our best work wherever it is. And I think it's easier to do that at home, I think. Right. Yeah, it, it definitely is. And, and that's why I, I do think, I think we're going to settle in to this hybrid office model. That's, and I, I don't really like the word balanced, right? But that is a little bit more balanced for business owners and employees where you, mo- you, you more like have work-life harmony, like you were just talking about, Denise, where it kind of ebbs and flows throughout the day versus like some regimented schedule of nine to five. Right. Right. And you got the boss with this, you know, jiggling his coins in his pocket, standing behind you to see if you're playing a game on your computer, which you probably are. You've already done your work. Seriously, you don't want me in your office. I promise you, you don't. Okay, so let's get back. (laughs) Let's get back to, I mean, we're talking about virtual, which I think is fascinating. And I'd love to hear your thoughts as you, you know, kind of watch this over the next year or so. I may get you to come back. Um, mm-hmm. you know, maybe later in the year, early next year, and, and let's talk about how it's changed because do you think by then you'll have a better you know, kind of evaluation of where we're going? Yeah, I, I do. So one one big thing that's really holding up figuring out what's going to happen with real estate and how that's affecting business valuations is the stimulus plans um, that have been going through Congress have had this, this little known um, – benefit in there for business owners. And the benefit that is that if you have an SBA loan, and SBA loans are typically used to buy a business, but also buy a building, right? And if you have one of those existing SBA, yeah, so if you have one of those existing SBA loans right now, last year, they basically forgave six months of your loan payments. And now there's another three month forgiveness that's going on right now. So it's, it's propping up um, the the economy, especially related to commercial real estate, a little bit because these building owners haven't had to pay their mortgages for what is it nine months, right? So um, so I think we're going to start to see how that's going to shake out in the next six months as these um, these payment forgivenesses go away, which which should be starting actually April first. You definitely need to cut once you feel like you have a handle on this. You know, give me a call or shoot me a note and we'll get you come you know, come back and talk about it. Yeah, I'd love to. Great. Okay, so one of the things that I promised we were going to talk about and we're half an hour in here and I've been interrupting you, I'm so sorry. For a woman who can't oh, no, speak today I'm doing a great <laughs> job of interrupting you. But anyway, let's talk about I know that once you have your business valuation, you've figured out what your business is worth, where you can take it, if you want to, whatever it is that you want to do. But whoever it is that's advising you, and you can tell me who those people are, those entities are, they're probably going to tell you that you need to increase your value and your profitability if you want the money you think you want. Does that sound about right? Mm-hmm. That that does sound about right. Yeah, so, you know, some strategies to increase value. So, like we talked about, your value all always starts with your earnings as your owner, as, as your owner's earnings, right? So, if we think about that, the number one strategy to increase the valuation of your business is to increase the quantity of your earnings. And I'm really careful when I tell people that. That doesn't mean necessarily your revenue. It means your profit. So, you could increase your profit by 
increasing your revenue. You could increase your profit by reducing your expenses and becoming more efficient, or you can increase your profit by doing both. So that's the number one tip I, I tell people, and that's I tell people business valuation is based on your quantity of earnings or your quality of earnings, and that's more on the business quality, which I'll get to in a second. But quantity is all about increasing that profit number, increasing your earnings. But also buyers look for quality businesses, and, and when I mean quality, they want businesses they, they feel like they can step into and nothing's going to change, right? Obviously, some things are going to change, but it's not going to be risky for them. So when they're looking at businesses like that, some qualitative factors they look at is, first and foremost, are the financials in good order? Like, can they trust the numbers that you're presenting? So making sure you have up-to-date books and records with your profit and loss statements, your, um, your balance sheets, all of that stuff, making sure it looks right and that you can actually prove what your earnings are so that's that's the first one the second one is that you have a good transition plan so in a lot of small businesses the owner is what we call an operator too and they're working in the business but how is that transition going to go to a new buyer do you have a training plan for them right or are you willing to stay on after they buy the business as a short-term employee so you can make sure that the business is held off into the right hands that, that's a big one um, that I see often is, is the buyer's fear is always that if I step in as the owner, are the customers going to go away and the employees are going to go away because I'm different than the previous owner? And if you can help them solve that fear through a good training and transition plan, then that's going to be really helpful in the transaction and it, it's going to increase the value of the business too. And then the last piece is related to that, but it's not necessary to sell a business. So I talk to a lot of people and they're like, well, I still work in my business, so I I don't think I can sell it. And that's not necessarily true because we just covered that with the transition. But if you can remove yourself from the business operations and you move yourself to that like CEO level of your business more so than working day-to-day in in the business as that operator, your business increases in value drastically. And the number of buyers that are willing and able to buy the business also increases. Okay, walk me through. I never even thought of that. Walk me how that would look like, what would look like. I can do this. (laughs) So, you know, do you have a case study that you can quickly kind of show us how that worked? Yeah, yeah. Actually, we worked with a client. And one of the first things we do, and we have a program called Prep to Sell. So one of the first things we do in Prep to Sell is we we figure out what does the owner do, right? So we're going to basically draw an organizational chart or an organizational map, and we're going to draw out all the roles in the business. And most businesses have very similar roles. You've got finance and sales and marketing and operations. And once we have all those roles drawn out, we say, great, now tell me, who sits in each of these seats? And for almost every small business, the owner sits in multiple seats, right? Mm-hmm. The owner could be <laughs> marketing, you know, right? Marketing and sales and sometimes also, like we talked about coffee runner, right? So there's, there's usually, Toilet cleaner. I'd say, do it all. Yep, exactly. So there's usually like two to four key roles that an owner is sitting in. And if you have time before you sell your business, you know, a year, two, three years in advance, you can design a strategy to get out of those seats one by one. And I usually recommend get rid of the one that's, yeah. So, so get rid of the one that's the, one the cheapest 
to hire out first and the one you don't like as much, right? So maybe toilet bowl cleaner first, right? Get <laughs> out of that seat first. Um, and but like to be like in all seriousness, a lot of a lot of this is uh, for our business owners. It's usually like bookkeeping, right? Bookkeeping is is usually one of those things that business owners are sitting in that seat. They don't want to give it up, but it's a very low cost position to replace yourself because you don't have to hire a full time bookkeeper. You can hire somebody that you can that'll work for you a couple hours a week, and they're managing other clients. So strategically over time, you remove yourself from each of those roles until you're down to one or even no roles in the business. So that never occurred to me. But I'm not running a standard business either. So it just, this is interesting. So base, and I agree with you, have an accountant or a bookkeeper take care of that stuff because it'll sit in the shoebox. We've all heard those stories. And now you're like, hmm. Ouch. Mm-hmm. What do yeah. we do now? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, and you you mentioned something too, Jessica, that's really important that, you know, if you have the time to go ahead and basically stage your business, I guess, you know, to, to sell it. So and you're saying two to three, you know, two, three years. I've heard five, but you really need to if you're going to at some point, even if you think now you're not going to sell your business, you probably should be treating it like you're going to is what I think I'm hearing you say. Yeah. I I mean, I'm a big believer in that. And, yes, I hear everything, three to five years plan in advance. Here's the problem with the planning in advance, and we talked about this, you know, at the top of the hour, Denise, um, personal reasons trigger sales, right? Right. So if I knew what was going to happen in my life personally five years from now, feel like I'd be a very rich person, right? Um, but I, I, a lot of that we don't have control over. So instead of taking this approach of, you know, I think I want to retire in three to five years, so I'm going to start on a three to five year plan, why not pivot and think in your mind, I'm going to start treating my business today like it could be sold at any time for any reason. And what that gives you is, yes, it's going to take you some time to put these things in place, but, you know, every role you remove yourself in from, you know, and every dollar you drop in more profit, over time you're increasing the value of your business. It's just like the compounding effect, right? So you're working a little bit on this every quarter to increase the value of your business. So if it can, if it has to be sold, it can be sold. And ultimately, when you're running your business, like it could be sold at any time for any reason, ultimately two things are going to happen. One, you're going to be focused on profitability, which is good because you're putting more profit in your pocket, right? And two, you're going to be focused on not doing everything in your business and trying to leverage the team you have or the team you're going to hire, which ultimately is going to make you a happier business owner because you have less work to do. Right. So no, no kidding. putting yourself in right. So if you're putting yourself in the position where I'm gonna run my business like I could sell it any day, ultimately you're gonna have more time and more money on your hands. And more creativity. One thing that I've noticed right. in my own business with clients that I work with, the more we try to nickel and dime everything, the more we try to keep a thumb on everything, the more we don't even know how to think anymore. Our creativity just says I'm out of here. You're no fun. I'm leaving. So you're just kind of doing mm-hmm. the same thing over and over and over again. You're tired. You're exhausted. You're not making any money, and you're probably going to get divorced. <laughs> so just stop it. <laughs> so yeah. you probably yeah. need a mindset shift. Mindset shift. I'm telling you, I can't talk today. 
Say it with me. Mindset shift. Mindset shift. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> to go along with all of this. I mean, isn't a, a lot of what you're talking about, doesn't it require me going, oh, I didn't think about that. Or, okay, now I need to completely shift how I think. Right. Yeah, it, it really does. And I think if you, and when it happened for me is when I, I sold the first business and, and it, it, it shifted for me. And the big mindset, and I think is, this is for me, it may be helpful for some listeners too, is that, you know, my business is no longer my identity, right? It's just a role I play. And ultimately, ultimately it's an asset that I own that's supposed to give me some economic benefit. But it can be traded like a house can be traded. It can be traded like a stock can be traded. And, and once I have that mindset shift of this is an asset, it's not my identity, and, and you know, it's not my baby, then I think you, you look at the business differently, right? And that's when you move to this, this model where you're running your business like it could be sold any day because you might decide tomorrow that you want to sell it, right, and try something new. So it really, and I love that it's not your baby, it's your business, it's not your baby, it's not your identity. With my business, it's very much my identity, so I need to have some little chats with myself as well. Hmm. Interesting. Everybody goes through it. I went through it too, right? And I still go through it daily, right? And I think it's, um, for me at least, it's when I know I'm in that space is when my like control freak kicks in, right? Yeah. When I have a, yeah. a really, you know, and I've got a really <laughs> great team, but I'm like, wait, I, I know how to do this better than you. Right. And, and that's when I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm tying my identity too much to this, to this business. There could be multiple right ways to get this task done. It's not about me. Right. And I, I need to release that control. It took me a long time to learn that. But once I did and I started hiring my team, I have always made it a point since I learned the hard way that, you know, I wasn't always the smartest person in the room, which broke my heart. But I have always, and I'm not sure I believe it yet, but I will go Mm -hmm. and find people who can do what I do, but they do it better because they're focused on one aspect of everything I do. I hire them for one segment, not, you know, to do everything I do. And I'm telling you, I will just say, okay, this is the way I've done it. This is the way I would like for it to be done. But since you're keeping in touch with, you know, you're on top of the tech stuff, you have your own business as well, what do you think? And I'm telling you, they give me the best advice. So let your control freak go sit in the closet. She's She's got to get mm-hmm. done at some point. It's hard to do. I Definitely. am a control freak. I, I'm always happy to talk with other people like me who get it. But, we, you know, we're also recovering, right? trying to recover yes it's a process it doesn't happen overnight right no i'm not sure it actually really happens but we do get better so (laughs) once once you decide that you're going to you know take a lot of this advice or all of it that you need and you've got to you know make that that shift in your head and say okay at some point i'm going to sell this business or close it what are some of the strategies that you know, you've you've got everything in in a row. You've got your your documents in a row. You've got your numbers in a row. You've moved yourself from cleaning the commode to sitting in that corner office, wherever it is. Mm-hmm. Could be in your garage. <laughs> we don't know. And but it's again, it's a mindset. So now, what do you do to you know how how do you market it? How do you increase the likelihood that you can actually sell it? Not all businesses are going to sell, which is a sad thing, but. I think that's the truth. 
Yeah, it's the truth. I mean, and by the way, I love the analogy of from the commode to the corner office. I might use that. (laughs) Um, You can have it. All right, great. Thank you, Denise. And the sad thing is most businesses don't sell. Um, So statistically, from the best research we have, only about 13% of businesses ever sell. And that's from... And that's a general stat from people that never list their businesses for sale to people that try and do it on their own to people that hire professionals. So I don't want to let that number depress people too much. Um, but I do want to put it out there is that it is actually a, quite an accomplishment to sell your business and to sell your business for any amount of money. And I think people don't give themselves enough credit sometimes if they go through a business sale and it's not as big as, you know, Instagram to Facebook or something like that. But <laughs> Once you decide to sell, there's a few things you can do to increase the likelihood and the value it sells for. So, you know, and this is not to, you know, promote our industry, but hiring professionals is really key. Um, the likelihood of selling your business with a professional versus on your own is drastically different. And by professionals, I'd say um, there's really three people you'll need on your team. You'll need a a business broker or an investment banker, depending on the size of your business. Um, Usually the breaking point there is about 20 million. Um, So business brokers below 20 million, investment bankers above 20 million in your gross revenue. So that'll be like the quarterback on your team. They'll help you um, take the business to market, market the business, find buyers, negotiate the deal. And really when you have a deal, the, the two other major players come in. And that's an attorney. Um, an attorney is critical when you sell your business. Um, unlike, you know, a house sale, these documents aren't templated. Um, they're all really from scratch. And there is some big liability issues when you sell a business and in terms of what you're representing the business does. So an attorney is key. And then the last person is your accountant. Um, and your accountant's really critical, helping you get the books in order on the front side ready. But on the back side, They're also going to be important in your tax strategy because you do have to pay taxes on the business sale. So one of of the big negotiation factors usually is how is the business uh, sale going to be taxed, and your accountant can help with that. So those are the three major players that you'll need on your team, and they'll help increase the likelihood of the business selling. And also, I mean, the second big strategy is increasing competition for your business. So when you're hiring a professional like a business broker, you really want to see, like, you know, how many active buyers do they have in their database that they're working with? What is the marketing strategy going to be to attract buyers to my business listing? Because if you have one buyer, you now have to convince that one buyer to pay you what you want for your business, right? But if you have 10 interested buyers that are making offers, now they're competing against each other. And they're trying to impress you with the best offer that they can bring. Gotcha. You mentioned accountants, and I know they're so important, but I think what a lot of people don't really understand or have have no need to understand it just yet is that all accountants are not the same. You need, yeah. What would you advise people when they're looking for a good accountant who knows what the heck you're doing? Probably not going to be your local accountant. So. You know, give us some tips on how to find the best person to help you sell that business. You know, they know what they're looking for. They know what they're doing. They can advise you. Yeah, it's a great question. Um, you know, in all advisors, when you're selling a business, you are most likely not going to use the same advisors you have now. Selling a I business figured. is a very, 
Yeah, it's a very specialized practice um, in for accountants and also for attorneys. So one of the questions I I always tell my clients when you're interviewing accountants or attorneys to sell to help sell your business, just ask them how many small business sales have you done in the last year? And you know it, the answer should be. You know, a, a handful is fine, 10, 15. There's some, there's some big transactional law attorneys that will do 100 deals a year, right? But if, if their answer is, well, I don't think I did one last year. I did one like five years ago or 10 years ago, or I kind of put a deal together sort of last year. Like those are red flags, right? Because ultimately you want advisors that see how other deals have gone so they can bring that experience to your situation. So you're not paying them to learn from your situation. You're actually gathering their experience from other deals that they've done. That's the biggest key I see is that, you know, most business owners, you have to realize that whoever's been serving you now has probably done a great job. And in the future, they'll do a great job. But for this small point and this small process in your business career, you're going to need to hire a specialist. And when you said small, I kind of went, really? It seems like such a big deal. But you're right. It's yeah. You're just moving in another direction. Yeah. It's small time-wise, right? So the average business takes about eight months to sell. And if we look oh. at that over the our terms of our careers and life, eight months is not that long of a time, right? I had no idea. So mistakes, when you're selling a business, we've covered a lot of things that you should be doing, and it's all excellent information. What are some of the things that you really, really, really don't want to do when you're trying to sell your business? Yeah, um, great question. First and foremost, don't tell anybody. So um, like we just talked about, only 13% of all businesses sell, right? Um, you know, Even when you go under contract, I think the stat is 50% of deals will die in due diligence, which is like the inspection phase, right? So there's all these ups and downs in the deal process. So don't tell employees or customers or vendors because one, the deal might not happen. Two, you don't want to drag them through all the drama that you're going to go through in this deal process. And three, you don't know how they're going to react. You know, we live in a society where the the news, I feel, glorifies all the negative stuff that's going on. and, And it's even related to business sales. So if you see a, a big business get sold on Wall Street, usually the second um, the, the second line in the story is like, and then they laid off the, all the employees, right? And that yep. doesn't usually happen in small small business sales, but that's what our employees think, right? So the first mistake is is telling your employees or feeling like they need to be involved in the sale. There's a reason that um, as a business owner, you're the leader, right? And that's usually because we can take more stress than the average worker. And I don't think it's necessarily fair to bring in our employees and our customers to this process because it is stressful. So that's the biggest mistake I see. Um, The second biggest mistake is, you know, taking your foot off the gas in the business. So if you think about it, when you go to sell your business, your business becomes like it's under this microscope, right? Because you've got buyers looking at it. They're asking all these questions. You have to be focused on running your business better than ever during that point in time than you've ever been before. So that's why I say it's important to hire professionals too because you can't possibly be trying to sell the business at the same time you're trying to run it and do both well. 
And then the last mistake I see is just, you know, not responding well to what the market's telling you. So we've, we've talked about business valuation and, and how that metric works and the formula, but ultimately a business is only worth what a buyer is willing to pay for it. So if you go to market and say you want, you know, a half a million dollars for your business and you get four or five offers at 300000 the market's telling you something. And at that point, instead of, you know, fighting to get that 500000 you have a decision you need to make. You either need to make the decision that I'm okay to part ways with this at 300000 because that's what the market's telling me, or I'm going to take a step back and I'm going to employ some of those strategies we talked about to grow the valuation over another year or two and then come back and try and get the five hundred. But having this realistic expectation and response to the market, um, Denise, we use the house as an analogy, right, is kind of fun. But it, it's the same thing. It's like just because you put all this money and effort into, you know, designing your house perfectly doesn't necessarily mean that a buyer is going to pay you every dollar back that you put into it. And it's very similar to a business. So there is, there's kind of a risk when you take it to the market. But once you see how the market's responding, you need to make one of those two decisions of either accept the market response or take a step back and employ some more strategies. Exactly. And I've always said something is only worth what somebody will pay you for it. I don't know why people mm-hmm. argue with that. It's, it's pretty simple. You know, they're going to pay yeah. you what they think it's worth. So your job is to make it much more worthy to them. So I right. get that. Yeah. So the one last question I wanted to ask you, we've got about six minutes. I told you this is the quickest 30, 30 60 <laughs> minutes on the, on the Internet. It just goes so quickly. You talk about the yeah. ultimate guide to buying a business. Now, we've been talking about selling your business, so let's let's switch up a bit and go to buying mm-hmm. a business because, you know, somebody may be doing, and I bet you've had people do this, they're doing one you want at the same time that they're doing the other. They're saying, okay, I don't want a wine business. I want to go do this. So let's talk about that a bit. Yeah, it's it's interesting. So now that you've been exposed and that all listeners have been exposed to this whole world of buying and selling businesses, there are thousands of small businesses for sale out there every year. And if you think about it, we, we talked about this valuation, the average business is worth two times earnings. And how I think about that is ROI. So if a business is making $100,000 a year, I'm paying $200,000 for it. In two years, I'm going to get my money back for that business. And I think there's very few investments in this world that you can see that kind of ROI. Um, so if you're thinking about diversifying your investments, I was, I was with a client last night. He owns a marketing agency, and he's buying hot tub businesses right? So you could do it like that. You can enter a totally different market space, or you can either even grow your business through acquisition. And how I brought my business brokerage firm and how I grew it was growing through acquisition. So I started with one office and then I bought out another office and merged the two together. And it's, it's a very quick way to grow your business and grow your revenue and your team size and things like that. And the Big also thing we kind of mentioned in the topic is that you can you can get financing for these deals too, right? So going to your local bank and asking about their SBA programs, sometimes you can buy a business for as little as 10 or 20% down. Now, are we talking about franchises here or should we be? Because that's another 
I've had guests talk about franchising, and all of a sudden I'm going, hmm, let me go look at some Mm -hmm. of that. And I mentioned in the bio that, you know, you've got a franchise location. So do we have a minute to to kind of cover that or talk about it? Yeah, yeah. So you can buy either, um, you know, what we call mom and pop, so non-franchise businesses, or you can buy franchise businesses as well. And then you even have a choice in franchise. Do you want to buy an existing franchise, which should be operating, profitable, have employees and customers, or you can buy a brand new franchise? And people ask me a lot of, you know, why did I decide to do a franchise business? And and ultimately, how I, I view franchises is that you're buying something that's already a proven processing system. And you're also removing some of the day-to-day tasks off your plate and putting them on the franchisor's plate. And, and in order to do that, you're just paying them a, a, sm- a small percentage of your revenue. Um, but you would have had those expenses anyway, right? So, for example, in my business, you know, I don't have to build or run my CRM. I don't have to build or run my website, right? They have training resources for my team. If I didn't have that stuff that was given to me by the franchisor, I'd still have to provide it to my team. It would just be on, on my dime and on my time. So if if you're looking for something, especially if it's – I recommend this to people if, if they're looking for a second type of business investment. Franchises can be really powerful in that they already have the name recognition. They already have the processes and systems set up. And then they also have another team that's going to support you and your team in the growth of the business. So, and there's variety. I mean, like when we've seen, I think like every industry's franchise now, right? Figure out if that's right for you. Um, but when you're looking for existing small business sales, I'd say about a quarter of those businesses are franchises and the rest of them are non-franchises, but there's there's plenty in the marketplace to choose from. And that leads me to an oddball question. If you have a business that you want to sell, you don't. You have to go through all of this process to find out what it's worth, who will buy it. Should you maybe can also consider franchising it? I mean, is that an option? Yeah, yeah, it's definitely an option. Um, you know, we work with a, a a partner company that does that for companies, and um, you can if you've if you've figured out your process, right? You can franchise your business, and it's it's a complex process but with the with the right team it's actually not um, it's not a huge headache to go through the one big thing is that when you move from owning let's say it's a, uh, a salon right when you own a salon you're there running a salon when you franchise the business now you become a coach to salon owners because you're going to be selling salon franchises all over the United States and what they're really looking to the franchisor for is advice and expertise that makes perfect sense. Excellent. This has been, we're running out of time. It always happens. This has been a fascinating mm-hmm. conversation, even with all of my, you know, biting my own tongue trying to pronounce words, but it'll pass, right? So anyway, mm-hmm. thank you, Jessica. It's been fabulous having you here. And before I let you go, is there anything else that you want our audience to know about you or you know, any last minute advice? Yeah, I just say my advice is think about how you move yourself into from business owner to the person that's able to sell their business at any time. And that's also going to move you into the buy the business mindset too, treating a business like an asset. 
And if, if you want to get in touch with me or you have further questions for me, you can find me on all social media um, at, at Jessica Fiakovich. Um, that's F-I-A-L-K-O-V-I-C-H. I'm the only one in the world, so even if you spell it wrong, you'll probably find me. Um, and you can learn more about our company at ExitFactor.com. We actually do have a free webinar um, coming up. We do them every other month, so even if you listen to this later, um, you can jump on our free webinar about how to prepare your business for sale. Um, would love to have some of the listeners on, but if you guys have any additional questions for me, feel free to reach out, but just that mindset shift, I think, is, is the biggest strategy to get being prepared to sell your business in the future. I've been thinking about that as we've been talking. It's like, well, you don't know what you don't know. But once you start to, you know, see glimmers of, oh, I can do that. Oh, you know, talk to these people. Look for this. All of a sudden, your mindset does shift. And all of a sudden, you're excited and you're creative and you want to know more. And you don't feel trapped anymore because some of us do feel trapped. Um, I don't. Mm -hmm. But I know a lot of people that I talk with are like, I don't know how to get out of this. When I started it, I loved it. Now I don't even want to pick up the phone. And I know these people are not alone. It's happening. So you're right. Mindset, creativity, hire the right people. Jessica, thank you. And I really look forward to you coming back, you know, later on, either this year or early next, you know, once you have a good handle of what's going on pre, post p- pandemic, if it's ever going to go away, right. even though right. these days, I trust nothing that <laughs> no, tells right. me, nothing I'm telling you, yeah. <laughs> but, but before I let you go, um, tell me again where people can find you, spell your, your last name one more time, and if you would, when we get done with mm-hmm. this, would you send me the link for that webinar so I can share that with the audience? Yes. Yeah, I'll definitely do it. Yeah. So you can find me on LinkedIn, Instagram. Um, I'm also on Facebook, but I'm more, more active on LinkedIn. And um, my username is Jessica Fiakovich. That's F-I-A-L-K-O-V-I-C-H. And our website and where you can find information about our webinars, we also have a, a free Friday email about strategies on how to buy and sell a business. And you can find all of that at Factor. Dot com. And Denise, of course, I'll send you the invite for the webinars so you can distribute to the audience. Perfect. Thank you. Well, listen, before we say goodbye, I would like to remind our audience to be sure to look for us on iTunes, Prime, Amazon. We're everywhere. I'm surprised how, how big this audience has gotten. But just wherever you consume your business podcast, look for us there and take us along on your success journey. Jessica, thank you. This has been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much. Get your voice heard. If you would like to launch your own far-reaching podcast, contact Denise Griffiths at yourofficeontheweb.com and go to the podcast tab. 